Hey, this is Amber from Seattle. And I'm Steve. And I'm Tyler, also known as the Forlorn Lawyer of Papa John's, and this is Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's very topical. (laughs) So, uh, if you're new to this podcast, basically a bunch of us nerds get together and drink a bunch of nice and, you know, sometimes not so nice liquor while browsing our favorite source of infinite knowledge on the internet known as Wikipedia. Since getting drunk and learning stuff is one of our favorite things in the world, right guys? Yay. Yeah. Yep. The the premise of our journey uh, is to start off on a random page in Wikipedia, and from that page continue on to a new page from a link within that page. That's a lot of pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like that arcade game spin spin to win, except like you know instead of you know winning Chinese finger traps and tootsie rolls, you get mostly useless knowledge. So it's 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 basically the same thing. That's a better prize, I think. I think so, too. I mean, you can drop some knowledge facts at the next party you go to. And that's better than dropping Tootsie Rolls, because it's kind of weird. <laughs> you'll get you'll get some tootsie questions. Rolls. You'll get a couple questions about that. <laughs> Just trailing Tootsie Rolls behind you. Like, what the fuck is up with this? Who is this guy? No one invited him. Like, listen, I, I was spinning and winning earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we embark, uh, let's first go over our weapons of choice. And by weapons of choice, I mean booze. <laughs> so, really, they aren't really weapons, but anyway, I lost where I'm going, so... Uh, I don't, I don't want to weaponize my whiskey. Let's be honest. I want to consume! Exactly. It's a tool of peace, not of war. Thank you. So lately I've been doing a lot of scotch, so I decided, back to bourbon, and I decided to pick up a bottle of uh, this Henry McKenna, and uh, yeah, my dad uh, drinks it a lot, because he's like, this is this is going to be the new big one, this is going to be the new big thing, stock up, and I'm like, alright dad, so. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I got a bottle of that, and I'm, jo- uh, I'm enjoying it now, and it's really nice. Cool. Uh, I am drinking Johnny Walker Black, because... I finished all my monkey shoulder. I actually really like the monkey shoulder. I'm going to get more of that. But uh, Johnny Walker Black is is nice. It's acceptable. And I am drinking, this was a very random choice at the grocery store, um, but I got it because the description on the bottle was really interesting. Um, But it's Hockstadler's Slow and Low. Um, And just to read the description, it's Rock and Rye. Made with straight rye whiskey, raw honey, navel orange, rock candy, and bitters. What so is it's going pretty, on? Yeah, it's pretty sweet and it's pretty intense, but I'm really enjoying it because it's still fair. It's it's fairly early here, so I figured you know something something kind of sweet to just set the mood for the evening. But it's really <laughs> it's really nice. You could just say sugar, sugar that we accidentally put some water on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing wrong with sugar. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and pull up our random articles. Go to wikipedia.org, hit random article on the left. Uh, okay. Oh, my God. Okay, huh. no, this is, this is okay. I thought it was something completely different, but anyway. Uh, I got Kenkyu, the Japanese era name after the Bunji era, but before the Shoji era. I don't think we're going to be huh. reading that one. <laughs> Um, I ended up getting fur people. Fur people? Oh, no. Fur people, like F-U-R. Okay. Which, which, uh, the fur are an ethnic group inhabiting Western Sudan. Okay. 
Yeah, that's not what I was expecting either. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I first saw fur people and I was like, oh god, they speak the fur language. Huh. <laughs> I know a couple of people who speak the fur language. Um, <laughs> no. So I. I uh, I random articled. I don't know if that's a verb, but I said it anyway. Um, but I have India at the 2009 World Championships in athletics. So <laughs> this is the 2009 World Championships in athletics held at Berlin, and it's I don't know. It's a fairly short article with a lot of results. That just seems like the most knockoff sounding Olympics ever. <laughs> the 2009 athletics competition by worldwide country competitors none of these are great options i don't think well i think we just have three different regions of the world so we just have to kind of pick one and go with it yeah uh i i'm thinking the fur people unless it's a really short article uh no it's 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 pretty sizable let's go fur people let's go read about the fur people just uh, send you guys the 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 link to the fur people I am there. Well, it looks like there's almost a million of them. There's a million fur people. <laughs> oh, they're growing. Half million in 83, three quarter million 2004. So, uh, again, to reiterate, the, the fur people are... I'm just going to say the fur, because I feel like the fur people just kind of sounds really uh, derogatory. Well, I guess it makes sense because it's a region of Western Sudan and it's the ethnic group in the Darfur region. So I think like it probably makes sense in the native language, but maybe just not to me in the English language. <laughs> oh, there's a bunch of other names, too. They're sometimes referred to by the names Fora, Furdunga, Furawi, Konjara or Kungara. Those last two have nothing to do with the sound fur. Those are not even <laughs> close. <laughs> Mostly agricultural, but they also heard cattle. Some fur families who have accumulated a substantial cattle herd developed a more nomadic lifestyle. Cool, I guess. I'm glad that they had to call out that some of them have more cattle than the others. In, like, a really, like, ideal world or way, I would love to be a nomad. Like, I feel like it seems like a very romantic thing to do, but I feel like it's also a really, really tough life. So maybe I'm just, like, too much in my video game head of just exploring worlds and being, like, that nomad person. But whenever I see the word nomad, I'm like, yeah, I would like to do that. I would love to be Amber the Nomad. <laughs> I mean, what what level are you? You're, like... You like level three at this point? <laughs> Two? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're just going to accidentally wander into some area that's like PvP enabled. Everybody's level 90 with end game gear. And you're like, hi, I'm Amber. Immediately murdered. And you're like, where's my respawn point? No respawn points. Oh, man. Oh, no. <laughs> Bye, guys. Nice knowing you. Uh, nomad life is hard. So the fur language, uh, there's no written or like symbolic script for the fur language. I guess it is just purely spoken. Huh. Uh, they they actually got some uh, a couple of greetings in here. They got, they got I'm going to give you since it is the evening at least here. You got avilakonu, which is good evening, and avilakoa, which is good morning. Great. That probably is not how it's pronounced at all, but you know what? Whatever. I'm sure that a, a fur person hearing you say those words probably went, what the hell is wrong with this guy? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, I thought it was convincing. Thanks, Amber. <laughs> You're welcome, Tyler. <laughs> Citation needed. 
(laughs) (laughs) Heavy drums are often used while making speeches. Could you imagine if it's like just somebody else not associated with the speech giver? Like some fur person is like, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do about the recent rash of robberies. Can someone please stop this guy? Please, I'm trying to talk. I really like that. I think that's really fascinating. Just like, I, I would love to like introduce that into normal everyday life where I'm like, I'm about to say something really important, you guys. And then you just get really intense drums behind you. Like, I think that would be really dope. That would it, make work meetings much worse or much better. Much it adds better. Like, it adds like a kind of like, like uh, it gives it some character. Like, you know, you're like you're ready. Like, guys, you got to listen to this. Okay. This is important. <laughs> and then it's just somebody complaining about how server uptime was like two minutes less this month than last month. <laughs> Great. I need help. Uh, and then you get that you get that one guy in the meeting who needs to ask a question no one else gives a shit about and is gonna drag the meeting out an extra fifteen minutes. And he's like, excuse me, I have one question. And it's just No. <laughs> Like, just one very, like, <laughs> light flick of the drum. <laughs> so, I went down to Social Structure, and there's a thing in here, you know, they make their own crafts for entertainment, and they have, they have, they include dance games called, like, Ale. <laughs> oh, and, shit. Dance and games. To- toys like Barrage, which is a small doll-like toy made from a camel's back. Camel's back? Better than its balls, I guess, but... Bound by rope and sewn by thorns. That's very poetic. Huh. That's a children's toy? Uh, apparently. I, I no, guess just, so. I, just, a, just a toy. I mean, yeah, a it toy? could be a grown-up toy. I don't know. <laughs> a toy with thorns seems very frightening. I mean, it's to teach you to fucking watch out. Be careful. Even your toys can hurt you. <laughs> I do like their social structure. They do not have so much regard for their wealth. A poor leader and a rich leader can become a chief. That's interesting. Oh, that's nice. If only. If only. Different sexes can dance together, but are forbidden to touch or live with each other unless they are family. Hmm. By the way, it's disrespectful to look an adult in the eyes. What? So you just have to keep looking away? Great, I'll fit right in. hooray for people who have uh, social anxieties you're a fur person now (laughs) a lot of fur people do have social anxieties don't they poor poor fur people alright let's see eating I'm glad they do that that's important coffee their coffee gets roasted with cloves Hmm. that sounds really good yeah I have to give it a try I like that they call out that the coffee is served in tiny cups after straining it through a sieve. Coffee is served in gigantic containers <laughs> the size of a man. <laughs> I mean, you get the big gulp in the United States when you go to 7-Eleven, but if you go and you visit the fur people, only tiny cups. Uh, let's see. Islam's a major religion. Not surprising. They continue with... They- Start learning the Quran at six or seven and continue learning it for the rest of their lives. The main occupation here is farming. The fur people are excellent farmers. This sounds like it was written by somebody who was like just trying <laughs> to win an argument. Like, yeah, Wikipedia says we're great at farming, so we must be better than you. No, it doesn't. Hang, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah, see right there. It says we are excellent farmers. 
<laughs> no citation and no citation needed. It's that apparent. The fur people probably did that. They had to. And then fur later on, it says wealth is not really important for the fur people. Only his knowledge of the Quran determines his attitude. Yeah, I there think this is like copied from somebody's just high school essay or something. <laughs> like that, you know, somebody put this in here and then cited it in their own essay. Yeah, right, right. No citation, so I am a little suspect of of the language here. Yeah, me too. Genetics. Why is there a section on genetics? That's, That's so pretty... out of place. That's pretty fascinating. I don't understand any of this, so yeah, I'm going to let you guys talk about it. <laughs> I, I don't even, we're not even going to talk about it. This is just like a lot of scientific gobbledygook that... <clears throat> oh, oh, attempt to sound knowledgeable. Half the links in here are just letters and numbers. According to Hassan et al. 2008, around 59.4% of furs are carriers of the E1B1B paternal haplogroup. Of these, 68.4% bear the V32 subclade. Approximately 6.3 also belong to haplogroup. Fuck, I lost it. <laughs> so, <laughs> haplogroup is hard to say, right? But I think it's like also this wild juxtaposition of like reading the fur people are excellent farmers and then going down to the <laughs> genetics section where you're like, I have no idea how to pronounce any of these words where you're like, I'm very smart. Okay, I feel really dumb now. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea how to pronounce any of these words. I don't know what the fuck they mean. Like, I can't even pretend that I could give no. a, like, synopsis of this. Like, points <laughs> a significant patrilineal gene flow from neighboring Afro-Asiatic-speaking populations. The remaining fur individuals are primary characters of the A3-B2 lineage, 31.3%, which is instead common among nilotes. <laughs> I don't right. understand anything I just said. Nope, I don't. I mean, I, I kind of get where it's talking about significant patrilineal gene flow. It just means, like, a lot of the men seem to come from other neighboring cultures, I think. Mm. And that is the extent of what I get in that whole section. So I learned a lot from this article. The fur people are from Darfur. They speak the fur language and they use a lot of drums. Don't look adults <laughs> in the eye. Um, and they're they... excellent farmers. They're excellent farmers, and they drink they drink coffee from small cups with cloves. And I think they have interesting genetics, but I really couldn't tell you about them. <laughs> I guess they do. <laughs> All right. So from here, what do we want to jump to? We can jump to any to any page that is linked to from this page in the article body. Um, I do have to say, I was surprised that dance games was not a link, but that's okay. <laughs> Uh, I, I found a link for ethnic conflict. Uh. That's it's a little dark. A little dark. All right. All right. All right. Or we can just go to coffee. Oh, no. So my suggestion is under social structure, you have camels back, but I could also go with coffee. I think we'll do coffee. Coffee's a little more accessible than camels. Come on. Camels back. All right. I clicked on coffee. All right. Oh, look, a cup of coffee. I didn't know what one looked like. Now I know. Type, hot or cold. Usually hot. <laughs> <laughs> 15th century? I, th I feel like coffee was around longer than that. I didn't realize that it's relatively newer, like as compared to tea. Coffee is slightly acidic and has stimulating effects in humans. Medical citation needed. <laughs> slightly acidic. Like motherfucker, you're slightly. not drinking the right coffee if it's only slightly acidic. <laughs> you gotta get that fucking like pH two shit up in here, man. Definitely We're gonna rip coffee. tonight. 
like if you're not shaking and your eyes aren't like twitching wildly and you don't want to vomit an hour afterwards, you didn't fucking have coffee. <laughs> you had some slightly acidic milk. So I just want to point out like it's interesting because the country of origin of coffee is in Yemen and Ethiopia. But right now Brazil is the leading grower of coffee. Producing one-third of the world total in 2016. That's quite a bit. I do know that a lot of, like, um, and this was kind of a side effect of colonialism, but a lot of plants that were found in Africa or Southern Europe, Central and South America are actually a more ideal growing climate for them. So a lot of times, like, back in the colonial era, they'd be like, oh, what are you growing here? You're growing the food you need to eat? Fuck that. Cut it all down and plant sugar. Give me the sugar. Yeah, like that's, I think that's what happened in like uh, Jamaica, maybe, or somewhere in the Caribbean. Uh, they, they literally just went, like, nope, fuck all your crops, plant all this sugar, and then harvest it, and we're going to sell it. Dude, this page is just like littered with citation needed, better citation needed. <laughs> better? Citation needed. I haven't seen better citation needed before. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, where is it? Oh, yeah, right here. A better source needed. Yeah, I see it now. Oh, better source needed. Sorry. By the way, the, 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 the sentence for that is, the first plants grown from these smuggled seeds were planted in Mysore. Coffee then spread to Italy and to the rest of Europe, to Indonesia, and to the Americas. Better source needed. Better source, better pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you are you guys coffee drinkers? Yes. I, I used to, but like... I, I, I kind of had to come to realize, like, hey, caffeine's kind of fucking me up. Yeah. So I'm going to stop drinking coffee. And, and start drinking you, whiskey. Just start Hell drinking yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I would drink coffee occasionally up until a couple years ago. And then I started drinking more coffee and less soda. And that's been great. I still really like Diet Coke, but I just try to drink less of it. Yeah, coffee is something very near and dear to my heart. I feel like being from, you know, the Pacific Northwest, like it's something that you're just, you're born with and it's just yeah. part of like your blood and your DNA. You're born with but, coffee like, in your blood. Basically. Um, but no, like I was, I was a barista during college and like, you know, I drink coffee. I mean, I'm drinking coffee right now and it's nighttime. Like it's, it's just something that never ends, but like, this just this whole article kind of warms my heart, but there's a lot of like really brutal stuff just with the coffee industry, and I think that's like what you were saying, Steve. Yeah, coffee became more widely accepted after it was deemed a Christian beverage by Pope Clement mm. VIII in 1600, despite attempts to ban quote the Muslim drink. What is oh. wait? What's the Muslim drink? Oh, because it was from Muslim countries. Like it was from. Oh, so so it was like originally a Muslim drink, and he was like, "Hold on a second, there, buddy." Like, like <laughs> yeah, all the people were like, "We can't have this. It's from the Muslim countries." And the Pope went, "Uh, actually, it's pretty good. So why don't y'all just fucking settle down, have a cup of coffee?" Hey, settle down there. <laughs> settle uh, down, have some coffee, and then get really fucking riled up. How about that? So later on in this, it says when coffee reached North America during the colonial period. It was initially not as successful as it had been in Europe as alcoholic beverages remained more popular. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Oh my god. What are you drinking oh, in the morning? You're just, you're just you're just going hard on those mimosas or something? <laughs> yeah, because you know revolutionary mimosas <laughs> in the seventeen seventies. Good seventeen seventies are just pounding mimosas. Rose all day, baby. <laughs> 
<laughs> the only reason Americans started drinking coffee was because Britain cut off access to tea imports. And they're like, well, <laughs> I guess we'll burn these fucking beans. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's, who first burnt the bean? Who's the first people <laughs> to burn a bean? I, I love that that's the description. I think it's under legendary accounts, although there is a separate article. History of coffee. Legendary accounts? Sheikh Omar was known for his ability to cure the sick through prayer. He was once exiled from Mocha in Yemen to a desert cave near Wasab. Starving, he chewed berries from nearby shrubbery but found them to be bitter. He tried roasting the seeds to improve the flavor, but they became hard. (laughs) He tried boiling them to soften the seed, which resulted in a fragrant brown liquid. Upon drinking liquid, he was revitalized and sustained for days. Oh my god. Days. Could you imagine, Uh. like, never having any caffeine or any even stimulant of any kind until, like, your 30s? And being like, oh, well, I'm starving to death. I guess I'm going to have a big... Bowl of coffee. <laughs> Big bowl of brown liquid. Mmm. I like the next sentence. As stories of this miracle drug reach Mocha, Omar was asked to return, was made a saint. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, Omar. You're causing problems. Dude, 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 dude. Guys, whoa, guys, guys, whoa, guys, whoa, guys, 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 guys. Dude, 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 dude. Look at this. Look at this plant that I found. Yo, fuck, hey, fuck, hey, fuck. hey. Wow, wow. This is, this is, hey, this is, this is, this is a really cool plant. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't slept in four days. So let's let's not gloss over the story of Kaldi, which is above this. So the story of Kaldi, the ninth century Ethiopian goat herd who discovered coffee when he noticed how excited his goats became after eating the beans from a coffee plant. Nice. Yeah. Look look at those goats go. What are those goats doing? Those goats are just going ham. <laughs> I got I got to eat what those goats are eating. <laughs> a sentence I've never thought and will never act upon. I gotta eat what those goats are eating. <laughs> well, here we are. Here we are. It's been said and thought now. Yeah, so going back to uh, what you were saying, Tyler, about uh, coffee in Brazil. Coffee had been introduced to Brazil in 1727, although its cultivation did not gather momentum until independence in 1822. After this time, massive tracts of rainforest were cleared for coffee plantations, first in the vicinity of Rio de Janeiro, then Sao Paulo. Brazil went from having essentially no coffee export exports in 1800 to being a significant regional producer in 1830, to being the largest producer in the world by 1852. That is quick. That is real quick. Like, that means there's people, by the time Brazil became the largest exporter of coffee in the world, those people had been alive to see Brazil have no coffee. Like, they've been alive that entire time. That's that's crazy, man. In the, shit. in the 1910s and 20s, Brazil exported around 70% mm. of the world's coffee. What? That's fucking crazy. Oh, hey. By 1920, around half of all coffee produced worldwide was consumed in the U.S. Good job, hey. America. We've made it. America. We're drinking all the coffee. So under cultivation, over 900 species of insect have been recorded as pests of coffee crops worldwide. Of these, over a third are beetles, and over a quarter are bugs. I'm really glad (laughs) bugs is a clickable link. (laughs) Let's see, what else here? Apparently, you can grow coffee kind of two different ways, either in the shade or out of the shade. Unshaded coffee plants grown with fertilizer yield the most coffee, although unfertilized shaded crops generally yield more than unfertilized unshaded crops. The response to fertilizer is much greater. 
I'm re- am I reading this sentence wrong? Unshaded coffee plants grown with fertilizer yield the most coffee, although unfertilized shaded crops yield more than unfertilized. So, with fertilizer, unshaded with fertilizer gives you the most coffee. Unfertilized, wait. <laughs> okay, so the top is no shade, yes fertilizer. And then below that is no fertilizer, yes shade. And then below that is no fertilizer, no shade. That was a very poorly worded sentence. Sorry, I thought that was going to be a lot more interesting, and then I just got completely confused. In typical Tyler fashion. (laughs) I thought this was going to be exciting, and then I just completely lost track of what was happening. It takes about 140 liters of water to grow the coffee beans needed to produce one cup of coffee. Whoa. That's a lot. That's pretty wasteful. Yeah. Yo, there's a picture of a like a coffee plant next to that, a flowering coffee arabica tree and Dude, that's Brazilian. beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's a nice looking plant. I, I would want that I want that in my front yard. Like it's just fucking good looking, man. Can you imagine just going out to your front yard and picking like coffee berries <laughs> to roast? Like Yo, just a it'd be awesome. that would be so great. I mean, obviously, you would have to use a ton of water <laughs> to get any <laughs> any cup of coffee out of it, but it is—it's really beautiful. I just want those plants, man. Yeah, just you keep the beans; just give me the flowers. <laughs> so I want to talk about the processing part um, because right. I think this is really—I mean, it's really fascinating because just the whole like experience of picking the thing and then roasting the thing is cool. But I'm going to actually skip down to the bottom of processing. Because as we all, I'm sure we've all read about, like, this this little animal who eats and, like, poops out the coffee beans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So an Asian coffee known as Kopi Luwak undergoes a peculiar process made from coffee berries eaten by the Asian palm civet. I think that's how you say it. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Passing through its digestive tract with the beans eventually harvested from feces, which is a link. Um, coffee- <laughs> Citation needed. <laughs> Co- <laughs> coffee brewed from this process is among the most expensive in the world, with bean prices reaching $160 per pound uh, or, no. or $30 per brewed cup. Kopi Luet coffee is said to have uniquely rich, slightly smoky aroma and flavor with <laughs> flavor with hints of chocolate resulting from the action of digestive <laughs> enzymes breaking down bean proteins to facilitate partial fermentations. One, gross. Two, kind of interesting. Three, Three gross. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know. Would you would you guys drink it or what? Yeah, probably. I'd give it a shot. I would. When uh, when Kim and I were over in Iceland, we ate uh, we ate puffin, and we ate whale. Why not eat I, poop tea or poop why coffee? Not, why not eat, eat poop tea? <laughs> burnt poop burnt coffee. poop bean soup. <laughs> How hot does it have to get to roast it? Around four hundred degrees. Holy shit! This article is really big. Well, yeah, Sorry. it's coffee. Coffee. Coffee cuppers or professional tasters grade the coffee. <laughs> yeah, I'm a cupper. <laughs> <laughs> My father was a cupper and his father before him was a cupper. I carry on the great <laughs> cupper family tradition. Look at him go. There's a picture of them and they're like really getting into they're it. They're really getting into it. 
like their noses are a couple inches from the coffee and they're just stirring it. That is some chunky coffee in that image. Yeah, there's like residue on the side of that, like on the rim of that. And then there's like that the one the one bowl of just like water. So have you I have you guys had cold brew coffees and if so what do you think of them? I I absolutely have and I really love it. Um it's it feels a lot less like acidic and like biting. I don't know. I, maybe these are words you use to describe a drink, but <laughs> it's like it's like more. It sounds more like describing an angry dog. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's sweet and kind of like caramely and kind of chocolatey, depending on like the cold brew that you get. Um, but it's I don't know. I really like cold brew. It's also like really fucking hot here, so it's just <laughs> immediately like saying those words together. I'm like cold and brew done. Let's do it. We're here. Yeah, I, I've tried it a couple times, and I don't know what it is about it. Maybe the fact that it isn't bitter is what I dislike about it, but I've just never really cared for cold brews. Like, you're expecting the bitter, like, okay, here we go, we're going to bring <laughs> it in. Uh, where is it? This is not up to my expectations. Yeah. This is awful. This didn't hurt me. This didn't make me feel like I want to die. Clearly, it's bad. Yeah, I've never tried it, but, like, I have... <laughs> I mean, I've had iced coffee, even though I know this basically just like watered down. The iced coffee is coffee. totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cold brew, but, as it says at the end of the uh, brewing section, is made by steeping coarsely ground beans in cold water for several hours. This results in a brew lower in acidity than most hot brewing methods. Yeah, there you go, Amber. <laughs> so here's lower a, in acidity. Here's here's a question: Is coffee a soup? Oh God. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I you mean, just got done with the hot, is a hot dog a sandwich, okay? Well, what about the other debate uh, that um, the Magaherns have where every single plate can be, or every single dish can be broken down to either being a soup or a sandwich? Mm. Uh, it was, I thought it was a salad. Was it a salad? I think yeah, so. It was a, yeah. It was a soup or a salad. I'm sorry. Because then I remember a sandwich is just a salad. And part of the salad is bread. A handheld yeah. salad. I mean, I, I could be convinced that coffee is basically a, a broth. It's a bean broth. But... Oh, no, the, bean no, broth. It, was, it was sandwich or salad, I remember. Because uh... I, I got really angry. And I, was, I remember I came up with the idea of like, so if you have like a bunch of potatoes with some stuff in it, like mashed potatoes with stuff mm. in it, that's technically a salad. And then you put it inside a piece of ravioli so it becomes a pierogi. Now that's a sandwich. Then you have a pile of those pierogi on a plate, and now it's a salad again. And, like that got <laughs> me really angry. <laughs> and like you throw all those pierogi into like a wrap for no good reason, and now it's a sandwich again. <laughs> so I'm gonna hit you guys with a, a coffee fact because I just stumbled across this one. Um, yes, do it. Coffee ingestion on average is about a third of that of tap water in North America and Europe. Worldwide, 6.7 million metric tons of coffee were produced annually in 98 through 2000, and the forecast is a rise to 7 million metric tons annually by by 2010. Okay, this is a little outdated, but also let's talk about that tap water stat there. So what if I'm understanding what you said correctly, for every one cup of – for every three cups of water someone's drinking, they're yeah. drinking a cup of yep. coffee. Yep, yep. That is a bad ratio. That's wild. <laughs> That's a lot. In North America and Europe. This is under the sale and distribution. 
Although, section. if you look under the health effects section, in 2012, the National Institutes of Health and AARP Diet and Health Study analyzed the relationship between coffee drinking and mortality. They found that higher coffee consumption was associated with lower risk of oh, death. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and that those who drank... God damn it. That those who drank any coffee lived longer than those who did not. Oh, thank However, God. The authors noted whether this was a causal or associational finding cannot be determined from our data. A 2014 meta-analysis found that coffee consumption of four cups per day, that's a lot of fucking coffee, was inversely associated with all-cause mortality, a 16% lower risk. This has to speak to you, Tyler, as an actuary. (laughs) As well as cardiovascular disease mortality, specifically a 21% lower risk from drinking three cups per day, but not with cancer. So I just want to point out, okay, you brought up the whole actuarial thing. Okay, we're going to go there. We're going to go there. <laughs> well, no, because I, I like that. Like, I, I, I always found have found that really interesting. So, well, yes, uh, there, uh, uh, there are these, to just kind of just go over this, yeah, it, it's kind of correlation without causation kind of thing going on. Yeah. I think. But because, like, also, like, with, with mortality, you got to look at, like, other factors such as, like, yeah, you're drinking a lot of coffee, which means your heart rate's going up, your 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 blood pressure's going up, you're being more active, you're, you're moving more, so you're more susceptible to other micro, uh, shit, what is that term? Micromorts. Uh, micromorts, yeah. Uh, so, like, those things also tack on to a lot of that. So, I, I, I don't know. Studies like these are kind of weird. Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely assume that studies like this are weird, and that even when they have a really great finding at the end, they're like, but we have no idea what other factors we didn't even control or yeah. look for were affecting this. Yeah, this is, really, this is just, like, a statistical anomaly, like... Uh, that's cool and all, but there are a lot of other factors. There are obviously a lot of other factors when it comes to death. Nope, okay? just coffee. <laughs> okay. If you so, drink coffee forever, you never die. So just <laughs> on that note, if you look under this subsection of cancer, it says studies suggest that coffee consumption of two cups per day was associated with a 14% increased risk of developing lung cancer, but only among people who smoke. What? <laughs> what? So it's like... The first negative effect that we see, but it's only people that smoke where you see that correlation between an increased risk of developing lung cancer and drinking coffee. What? I mean, I guess I kind of see it because I, everybody that I know who was a smoker and who drank coffee almost uniformly would have a cigarette every time yeah. they had coffee. So if you're just having your normal cigarettes throughout the day and then you're having a cup of coffee and adding another cigarette, then... Really, what you're doing is just increasing your cigarette consumption. So right. I guess I get it. But that's a really awkward way to phrase it. If you smoke more, then maybe you're going to get lung cancer. Yeah, maybe. My God, this article is right. really, really long. Yeah, we'll, 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 get, we'll get lost in the rabbit hole known as coffee. So yeah. let's... Uh... It's, uh, let's, let's see. What can we do? <laughs> Prohibition? Why is... There's there's a there's a there's a link to coffee break. Oh, coffee break. short um, mid morning rest. You want to go to feces? No, no. <laughs> hard no. Come on, I'm I'm kind of interested in coffee prohibitions, or just prohibitions in general. Yeah, let's go to prohibition. That's a subsection. I'm looking to see anything down there. 
if anything interesting is in there. An example, a contemporary example of religious prohibition of coffee can be found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The organization holds it as physically and spiritually unhealthy to consume coffee. Huh. This comes from the Mormon doctrine of health given in 1833 by Joseph Smith in a revelation called the Word of Wisdom. It doesn't identify coffee by name, but includes the statement, hot drinks are not for the belly. What? <laughs> what else are they for? <laughs> coffee enemas? Ugh. I hope not. Please do. <laughs> why is there... Why, under folklore and culture, Johann Sebastian Bach was inspired to compose the humorous Coffee Cantata upon de, about dependence on the beverage. So we get like a <laughs> caffeine dependence, Coffee Cantata, or Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, Let's go to Johann. Johann? All right. My man. All right. Johann Sebastian Bach. He's got a really nice signature. So if you guys check out like on the right side of this page, it's just very, yeah. it's very inky and very just like, I don't know. It's very ornate. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, but his picture, he looks like he smelled something real bad. <laughs> <laughs> he, he looks like the, the person doing his portrait was like used to working with children and just told him like, all right, give me a big <laughs> smile. And he's just looking at him like. Do you have any idea who I am? <laughs> I am Johann Sebastian Bach, and you will not trouble me with such frivolities. He's kind of a chubby man. Like, I guess, like, my mental image of, of him is not, like, a chubby, like, older man. But, like, in this, like, beautiful painting, you can see the curve of the belly. And he's got, like, pretty chubby fingers. Also, look how fucking <laughs> tiny the piece of paper he's holding is. It's smaller than his hand. It's really small. Also, I mentally envision pretty much every composer as being a big dude. Why don't people get, like, portraits painted of them these days? Like, I feel like that's what I want to do now after looking at this. Like, I don't want to be, like, you know. Like, chubby-handed Amber, like, holding a very tiny piece of paper. Like, I wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't choose that, like, you know, as my, like, portrait, my official Wikipedia portrait. (laughs) 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 But I feel like it's a a lost art there. So just going to throw that out into the universe and say people should start looking into getting portraits of themselves done. You should start, we should start getting portraits of ourselves done. Get them to be, like, way too big, way too huge, <laughs> and give them to other people as gifts. Oh, God. <laughs> nice to like, meet you. I'm Amber. Here's my portrait. <laughs> yeah. Here's my portrait. It will need a nice frame. It's 48 <laughs> right. by 60 inches. I hope you have a good place to put it in your house. Anyway, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I expect to see it every time I come over. It took the artist, I don't know, how, how many hours does it take to paint a painting? It took the the artist 120 hours to paint me looking like this. I clutched this tiny piece of paper for a very long time. (laughs) Please enjoy. (laughs) I'm going to look like this forever. (laughs) Okay, so I scrolled down a little bit and I noticed there's a picture of Johann Ambrosius Spock. (laughs) More portraits. He looks like like Johann Sebastian Bach trying to cosplay Mario. (laughs) <laughs> but like some creepy playboy mario with that weird robe so you're 
from side to side. <laughs> this, <laughs> do, this, do not do, do that. the Mario. No, this looks like this looks like a very <laughs> candid like photo that you would take of just a random person sitting at the end of a bar where he's like. Why are you taking my photo? What am I doing here? <laughs> like he's just like, what the fuck, dude? Like, but remember, it's a portrait, meaning he would have to hold that pose for like two hours, easily. Could you imagine trying to maintain a look of what the fuck are you doing for two hours? <laughs> I'm just like, I, I, I was just, I'm just confused. Like his name is Johann Ambrosius Bach, like. How does how does the, the the change in name happen there between father and son? Uh, like also, the middle name change. Also, if you look at his childhood, his oldest brother was Johann Christoph Bach. Hmm. What the fuck? I guess it's just middle names. How does that? How do names work? <laughs> Help! Oh God, that sucks ass about his childhood. Bach's mother died in 1964, which would have been... 1694. <laughs> Whoa! 1694! Uh, A little different. The summer of love. His mother was 300 years old. <laughs> wow. Lived a good life. <laughs> that That is a good life. That's a long fucking life. 1694, and his father died eight months later. Damn. He was also the eighth and youngest child. Ugh. That's a big family. Wait, eight children? His eldest brother was born in 1671. So you said eight children, Amber? Yeah, yep. Eight children in 14 years. Jeez. Just cranking Just... them out. Pop, 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 pop. A semi-automatic birthing. God. Please, no. <laughs> oh, his older brother studied under Paco Bell. Hmm. Oh. That makes some sense. An older second cousin, cousin Johann Ludwig Bach. I, God damn it, dude. I, I really want to know if everyone in the family is Johann something Bach. It's like you can't, like, throw, you know, a rock down the street without hitting a Johann Bach. A Johann? Bach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like. They're the John Smiths of old Germany. It's like how do you Austria. how do you distinguish these people in like a classroom? Like you have like fifteen kids and fourteen of them are Johann Bach's. Like okay, Johann Bach, the one with the bad hair. <laughs> right. Johann Bach, the troublemaker. Johann Bach, the one at the end of the bar looking mighty confused. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on! I'm just trying to do my math homework. Can we fucking leave you alone? Don't talk shit about my portrait. Uh, so do you guys? Do you, do you both know how to, like, read sheet music? Sort of. Also sort of. Okay, well, I, I think sort of is good enough. So if you scroll down and there's a, a is picture Is Sonata of, at number one? Yeah, if you look at it... Oh, God, my screen oh, is wow. completely screwed up. Like, look at the way the, the lines move in this. Like, it goes all over the place. I'm glad... Well, it's, what is it? That's the the fifth line or sixth line where he started drawing the lines up, got halfway up and realized, oh, fuck, that's totally the wrong angle. <laughs> <laughs> this, like, makes me, like, it makes me feel drunker than I am looking at this. Like, <laughs> how does anyone read this? I have no idea. More whiskey. <laughs> ah, good, good idea. <laughs> Musical styles. Well, okay, so, um, box kind of style was, you know, the final stage of the Baroque style. Uh, contemporaries such as Handel, Telebon, and Vivaldi wrote concertos. So he just he did, did the same thing as everyone else. Mm. Yeah, basically. 
The specifics of his style lie with characteristics, characteristics such as his skill in con contrapuntal inter invention and motivic control and his talent for writing tightly woven music of powerful sonority. That's another one of those sentences I don't uh. really get. <laughs> Wait, so the fact that he would change key in the middle of songs was not usual at the time. That seems just like a, a thing you always do. Yeah, key change is like part of the everyday life now. <laughs> everyday life, not even normal music, just everyday life. You're walking down yeah. the street and suddenly like the crosswalk sign changes keys. Uh, yeah, I mean, look at it. It goes from white to orange. That's not... Moving on. That's a key. Kind. It's a tone uh uh of uh of wavelength of uh <laughs> of light all right i'll accept that argument i need to go to bed <laughs> <laughs> so i'm reading about his death actually so i'm i'm oh, jump great. i'm uh -oh. jumping around i know great i'm jumping around a little bit but he died i think at the age of 65 because i and i didn't know this at all um because he was going blind so he underwent eye surgery in March 1750 and again in April from the British eye surgeon John Taylor. But he died in, uh, let's see, July 28th of 1750 from complications because the treatment was unsuccessful. So Jeez. that's that's pretty wild. Wow, wow. Like from eye surgery. I mean, that's that's gnarly enough, like at any age, but at 65 in declining health. Especially during what seventeen fifty, like I can't eye surgery in seventeen yeah, fifty. That seems destined for failure. I can't imagine. I feel like that's a pun and it's very unintentional. But God, like that seems really brutal and um, short-sighted. Yeah, <laughs> short-sighted. Um, all right, all yeah. right. I'm pouring another drink for that one. You should pour one out for good old JSB's eyes. Cheers to good eyes. Rest in peace, JSB's eyes. <laughs> not, not JSB, just his eyes. <laughs> yep. He's fine where he is, but... A lot of talk about, like, the, the style of music, a shitload of links and pictures of uh, his... And pictures of the sheet music. Throughout the 18th century, appreciation of Bach's music was mostly limited to distinguished connoisseurs. Hmm. That's a good I mean, phrase. I mean, that makes sense. That's us, right? We're distinguished connoisseurs. Huh. Sure, we fit right in. Yeah, that's that's more for like, like the the uber rich. Let's travel back in time and just show up, and they'll let us in, and then we'll immediately die of diseases. I feel like there are a lot of really good links on this page. There's just so many that I have no idea where to even consider. Starting. Oh, hold on, I found I found the Moog synthesizer. Oh boy, we're going to the Moog synthesizer. Yeah, it's under reception. Modern adaptation of Bach's music contributed greatly to his popularization in the second half of the 20th century. Among these were the Swingle Singers versions of Bach pieces. Whoa. For instance, Swingle. It's not a word. And Wendy Carlos's 1968 Switched On Bach, which used the Moog electronic synthesizer. Holy fuck. Hover over Switched On Bach and look oh, at that boy. preview image. Oh my goodness! I think that's where we're, we're going. We're going there. So switched oh jeez! So what year was this from? A released October nineteen sixty-eight. Oh boy! Wow. Genre: some... electronic, classical. 
Do you guys want to give a stab at describing this image? Because I I don't have the words. Uh, it's so imagine a really bad Johann Sebastian Bach cosplay, and they've even got a decent set piece around them, like the way all the furniture and the flooring and everything looks is fine. Except it also has a big ass synthesizer, which just looks like one of those old timey phone switchboards, like old school analog synthesizer, like. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's that's a Moog in the back, actually. It probably is. It played a key role in bringing synthesizers to public music. Yeah, I just read it. Yeah, it's a Moog synthesizer. Huh. Recording was a tedious and time-consuming process, as Moog synthesizers are monophonic, meaning only one note can be played at a time. Each track was assembled one at a time. Holy fuck. Oh, man. So you had to, like, play through the entire song with, like, one note, and then play through it again with another note. According to Carlos, you had to release the note before you could make the next note start, which meant you had to play with a detached feeling on the keyboard, which was really very disturbing in making music. Yeah, I could see that being disturbing. (laughs) The instrument was unreliable and often went out of tune. Carlos recalled hitting it with a hammer prior to recording to obtain correct levels. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that's great took approximately five months and a total of 1,000 hours to produce. Fuck, dude. This guy's a champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they even talk about the design of the uh, of the vinyl sleeve. Carlos and Elkind objected to the original cover and had it replaced, noting it was a clownish, trivializing <laughs> image of a mugging Bach, supposedly hearing some absurd sound from his headphones. That these were plugged into the input, not output, of a 914 filler mo- filter module, which in turn was connected to nothing, assured that silence was is all that would have <laughs> greeted Johann Sebastian's ears. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is a bunch of fucking like uh, like electronics nerds. Yeah, that's, so that, 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 that's not that's not plugged in right. That's not plugged in right. He's not gonna hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> is that how they sound? I'm not a crook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good old tricky dick. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> Switched on Bach features 10 pieces by Bach available under public domain. Oh, he actually worked with the guy who created the Moog synthesizer, Robert Moog. There you go. So, this album was also like a production test of the synthesizer because he would like test components and give him better improvements and things to change. That's interesting. So. In 1969, it entered the top 40 on the U.S. Billboard 200 before it reached a peak of number 10 that year for a total of 59 weeks on the chart. Wait, so, wait. Oh, okay, never mind. It was saying that it was in the top 40, or that in the top 200 for 59 weeks total. I thought it was saying it was in the, the top 200 for 59 weeks out of the year. And I'm like, that's... <sighs> that's not how years work. So, from January 1969 to 72, the album was number one in the Billboard Classical Albums. I'm sure everyone who actually liked classical music was so pissed. Almost one million copies sold in the U.S. And then the album won three Grammy Awards. So, best best classical album, best classical performance, instrument soloist or soloists, with or without an orchestra. That's a very long Grammy Award title. (laughs) <laughs> and and best engineered classical recording. So I think all you know all of the the work that they put into this really paid off. I guess three three Grammys. Three yeah, most Grammys. people killed to get one in their entire life. Yeah. Jeez, that was all in the same year. So 
So, reception. At the time of release, the album was met with a negative response from some <laughs> bot theorists, as you mentioned. But the record gained popularity from many younger listeners and contemporary music artists. On a retrospective for all music, gave the album a rating three and a half stars out of five. He noted Carlos's approach, quote, was highly musical in ways that ordinary listeners could appreciate, characterized by amazing sensitivity and finely wrought nuances in timbre, tone, and expressiveness. That says like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a it, it plays music. <laughs> All right, where can we jump to from here? We're about at the end of the article. Let's see. We can go to oh, we can go to an eight track, eight track, oh, eight track recording machine. Sorry, basically eight track. There's also experimental music or electronic. Uh, I kind of think I want to do experimental music because I took a quick glance and uh, multi-track recording is not actual, like, uh, consumer eight tracks. Oh, boring. Yeah, I, th- I was hoping it would be too, but it's not. It's a uh, okay, where was... Top of the page. Experimental music. I am sad oh, to okay, leave yeah. that, that box sleeve behind. That was that was a, a huge delight to have on my screen. Just that very, <laughs> I don't know, chubby-faced, beautiful Bach and those nice little, you know, tight white leggings. It, it was certainly an, I wanna, ex- I wanna find it was an experience to have on my screen. I'll say it that was. much. It was. Experimental music is a general label for any music that pushes existing boundaries and genre definitions. Great. Wow, really? Thanks. That really clears the whole thing <laughs> up. But hey, guys, though, though, not to be confused with avant-garde, okay? <laughs> They're completely different, okay? The definition is just, it's pretty general, and don't it's... worry about it. If you can't think of a term to call it, just call it experimental music. We're good. It's fine. <laughs> but not avant-garde. Not avant-garde. No, okay? ab- absolutely not. Do not even you... fucking try. Keep those words out of your mouth. No, keep them in your mouth. Don't let them out. <laughs> so the origins, uh, we got the group day. Oh God, it's French. Where um, the first sentence under origins. Uh, group de recherche, recherche de musique concrete, under the leadership of Pierre Schaeffer, organized the first international decade of experimental music, 1953. That's that's so cool. 1953. They're just like, fuck it. Let's listen to some weird shit. You'll sample a pine cone for a few hours. <laughs> uh, tape music. John Cage was also using the term as early as 1955. According to Cage's definition, an experimental action is the one the outcome of which is not foreseen. I I mean, guess? I would, I would kind of disagree with that. Like, <laughs> an experiment, I mean, sometimes you don't know what's going to happen, but sometimes you kind of have an idea. Especially with music, like, you're kind of throwing things together, right? And you're like, okay, I hope these make something that, like, is, sounds like music. That is listenable. <laughs> right. Okay, John Cage in 1955. In Germany, the publication of Cage's article was anticipated by several months in a lecture delivered by Wolfgang uh, Edward Wibner at the Darmstädter uh, Ferenkuscher uh, on... The uh, 13th of August, 1954, titled Americanish Experimental Music. Okay, that was less exciting that, than I was expecting. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, <laughs> experimental music, maybe, I don't know, but it, it's it's really not, yeah. Honestly, at the, the Darmstädter Fearing Kuscher was probably the, the, the harder one. 
I just like to learn how to say things in other languages. I don't I don't need to know what it means. Do you guys speak other languages just to like get this in my brain? Um a little I, bit, yeah. <laughs> I can like understand extremely basic concepts in several languages, but I have no ability to progress beyond that. <laughs> like Spanish and French. I, I and don't I, I don't have the patience. I can read hiragana and katakana in Japanese. I kind of understand little bits of Portuguese. But, like, I, I couldn't carry on a meaningful conversation in any of them. Well, I am really glad that you guys are not asking me to pronounce anything because I speak English and that's it, just exclusively. So it would be just a, a little bit of a train wreck. Be be a better world <laughs> citizen and learn something halfway. Doesn't matter what it is. Uh, I will try my best. Things I'm learning from Wikipedia. Learn things. I will gladly <laughs> set up an account with you on, uh, what the fuck is it? I can't remember what it's called. Uh, Duolingo. And I will just sit there and learn a language with you and just text you in that language for practice. I just, I would love to have somebody to actually like practice a new language with. That's part of the problem. That I think that means two lingos. It does indeed mean two <laughs> lingos. You fucking nailed it, Amber. I'm there. I've learned. You've learned. You're done. <laughs> Uh, I just want to point out that one of these sub-articles, like, under definitions of usage, abortive critical term. What the huh. fuck does that mean? I have no idea. In the 1950s, the term experimental was often applied by conservative music critics, along with a number of other words, such as engineer's art, musical splitting of the atom, alchemist's kitchen, atonal and serial as a deprecating jargon term which must be regarded as abortive concepts since they did not quote grasp a subject what i i get what they're they're saying and then in the second sentence this was an attempt to marginalize and thereby dismiss various kinds of music that did not conform to established conventions so what they're basically saying is like all these really really critical weird terms was to make it sound like this is unlistenable, weird garbage, and you shouldn't really listen to it. It's not real music. Just ignore it. I I get that. Just abortive critical term is a weird phrase. Abortive. A lot of this is, like, really intense and kind of nonsense, too. Yeah. Because, like, even reading further. So in 1955, Pierre Boulez identified it as a new definition that makes it possible to restrict to a laboratory which is tolerated but subject to inspection, all attempts to corrupt musical morals. Once they have set limits to the danger, the good ostriches <laughs> go, to, go to sleep again and wake only to stamp their feet with rage when they are obligated to accept the bitter fact of the periodical ravages caused by experiment. What the that, fuck? None of that makes sense. Absolutely none of that is coherent. That sentence? To me, at least. <laughs> Like, I could hear, I could absolutely envision someone saying that sentence today about some other thing besides, like, music, about any, any like, weird-ass niche shit they're into. And I can envision the person in my head. Like, I can totally see this person physically. I just want to know, like, uh, the, the concept of musical morals. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Nothing! None of, like, I don't care about the rest of it. Like, that's whatever. But musical morals? What, what, why are we bringing morals into the concept of music? What does that I mean? I think morality has a place in a whole lot of areas that people don't normally think about morality having a place. Music is not one of them. 
music is just like expression and interpretation. That's all it is. So it goes on and it says, he concludes, there is no such thing as experimental music, but there is a very real distinction between sterility and invention, which is just, again, more kind of nonsense to me. Like, absolutely, there is no such thing as this genre, but then let's apply these two different, I mean, I guess like sterility and invention. So it's really like... What are the creative processes that you're, you know, going through to produce music? And is it something that's unique versus like, okay, are you really just following the norm? Um, but I think experimental music can really be outside of both of those different areas. So I don't know with this man comparing things to ostriches and like going through like this process with musical morals. I don't know if I really agree with you. Um, Pierre Boulez. I think he's losing a lot. I, of, I think he lost a lot yeah. of credibility about the ostrich point in the sentence. Like, <laughs> once he talks about sleeping ostriches. I'm still pissed about musical morals. Like, what the fuck? I mean, man? he definitely got us to stamp our feet with rage right now. So I guess he did something. <laughs> Joke's on us. <laughs> uh, thanks, Pierre. Oh, I'm glad that they have like some specific names of various movements within experimental music. Um, like musique concrete, a form of electroacoustic music that uses utilizes acousmatic sound which i have no idea what the fuck that is i'm gonna hover no clue sound that is heard without an originating cause being seen what (laughs) okay like you can't interpret what it comes from i guess yeah and then fluxus that's like that's like a name that i would sign up with on like world of warcraft (laughs) (laughs) yoko ono uses technique apparently (laughs) like fluxes to me sounds like if you're going to some like local music festival and somebody's talking about like reggae jazz funk thrash band (laughs) called fluxus that's been like playing the local scene for five years but they're gonna hit a big one day that's what fluxus sounds like to me so I'm scrolling down into influence, and uh, this section has multiple issues. Yeah, oh boy, <laughs> I I I, I kind of like sections that have multiple issues. So let's dive into that a little bit. The Residents started in the '70s as an idiosyncratic musical group mixing all kinds of artistic genres like pop music, electronic music, experimental music with movies, comic books, and performance art. Rise Chatham and Glenn Branca composed multi-guitar Thank guitar you. compositions. Multi-guitar? Like, are they each playing Wait, whoa, multiple whoa, guitars on at second. once? Yo, they got, like, the guitars with, like, the two necks on them, and they're playing them. <laughs> they're both playing them, like, just... Sorry, what? What are we doing? We need to bring we need to bring the fur people back so they have like the drum background and <laughs> so <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's the the full circle of experimental music. We need the fur people to, you know, get in touch with I don't know. Who are these people? Chatham and Bronca? Yeah. It would be great. And now for the opening act tonight, Chatham Bronca and the Fur People. <laughs> I would be in the front row, just tears streaming down my face with the beauty of experiencing an event like that. I would be crying for different reasons. <laughs> uh, I would mostly so, spend my time in the bar. <laughs> so there's a link further on in this page called 
the no wave. Oh, uh, I actually know the no wave movement. It was like kind. It was a weird. It was like an anti-punk movement or something. Yeah, and partial reaction against punk rock's recycling of traditionalist rock and roll cliches. No wave musicians instead experimented with noise, dissonance, atonality. To me, like no wave is like you. You're like walking down the street or whatever, and you like see someone coming at you, and you're like, "Oh, I know this person," and you wave at them, and they kind of <laughs> look at you, and they're like, "I have, I have no idea who you are." And then you realize, like, as you get closer, you're like, "Oh no, I just waved at a stranger." So you just got no waved. I. That's you know what? that's what we're, this, we're gonna like... go with that. We're gonna go with that. <laughs> yeah. Kim has that happen That's all the no time wave. while she's running. She'll be running and she'll be like, oh, I'm going to run to, I'm going to wave to this other runner and smile and I'd make them look upbeat and happy. And they'll just like glare at her and she can be like, oh, they're having a bad run and they don't want me to wave at them right now. They're just, they're staunchly part of the no wave movement where they're like, no, absolutely not. I don't wave to people. That's just not a thing I do or a person I am. Excuse me. I am part of the no wave movement. All right. I do not wave to anyone. Absolutely not. We should make t-shirts of this where it's just no no wave movement. And then it's just a picture yeah. of somebody with their arms crossed on your on your yeah. chest. <laughs> I, I, I thought, it, like, the emoji for wave, and it's just, like, with the, the X through that. No wave. Right. I like it. Oh, I heard that bottle pop open. Okay, I know. All right. Uh, maybe one or two more articles I think will be done for the night. Where do we want to go from There's here? A- there's a lot of good stuff here. So in um, this the section that has multiple issues, we have links for pop music, electronic music, movies, comic books, performance art. We have the the no wave movement, which Mars. I think I'm oh, done. Yeah, Put that to bed. Um, Mars music group, New York City rock band. Mars. I kind of I kind of want to go into no wave. I guess we're we're going with the no wave movement. Like we're we have, we've already talked about it a, enough to like okay we're 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 obviously interested in this topic let's let's just go into it <laughs> okay so the no wave was a short lived avant garde scene that emerged in the late teen, the late nineteen seventies in downtown New York City in just, reaction just in against, downtown just in downtown just no downtown. no other bureaus nowhere else yeah you won't find it on Long Island you have to go to downtown <laughs> New York City. Um, in partial reaction against punk rock's recycling of traditionalist rock and roll cliches, no wave musicians instead experimented with noise, dissonance, and atonality, in addition to a variety of non-rock genres, including free jazz and funk, while often reflecting an abrasive, confrontational, and nihilistic worldview. That, that, that is a those are a lot sense. of things. There are a lot of things there. There are a lot of things Why happening. Why are you going to talk shit about punk rock like that? That's bullshit. Yeah, they're like, let's do, let's do anything but punk rock. Let's do rock and roll. Mistake number one: anything but punk rock. Funk is great. Free jazz, great. We'll go there. We'll include eventually disco, hip hop, and world music, but just absolutely not punk rock. Yeah, the term "no wave" was a pun based on the rejection of commercial new wave music. I knew this, that, that it was pun? kind of based off. Yeah, it, it's basically like a rejection of new wave. Like I, I get, I get. It's like a. It's a uh, a reference to, to new wave, but a, I, I think what what Amber's trying to say is like, is it is it a pun? Like, no. what makes it a pun? It's it's more like, oh, your new wave. Well, we're no wave because we are like not associated. 
but like stuff no like, wave no way okay <laughs> but yeah like uh like aha is pretty definitively new wave no wave okay. is not a clearly definable musical genre with consistent features great <laughs> so it's a genre name that has no defining features although it's generally characterized by a rejection of the recycled traditional rock aesthetic such as Blues rock, which fuck you, blues rock is awesome. Chuck Berry guitar and... riffs, fuck you, <laughs> Chuck Berry is awesome. In punk and new Chuck wave Berry music, is great. fuck you, punk and new wave is awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, the more we're getting into no wave, I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm not waving to no wave. <laughs> Various groups drew on or explored such desperate styles as funk, jazz, blues, punk rock. Wait, 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 wait. What? <laughs> we're, we're totally not about punk rock, except. Hold for on. the punk rock parts of punk rock. Hold on a second. <laughs> just wait just wait a minute. You're influenced by punk rock, but you are rejecting everything about punk rock. Excuse me, no wave. Okay, so I'm just skipping ahead real quick because it's listing like under history and then other no wave musicians. And everything under the other no wave musicians, like I've I'm not familiar with any of the groups. However, one of the group names, James White and the Blacks, which, first of all, is a terrible name. <laughs> oh, my Ugh. God. But that shows up as being a link I have clicked on before? Really? <laughs> <laughs> what? I just want you guys to hover over it and look at this guy, <laughs> uh, the picture of this guy. James Chance. Wow. <laughs> look at that hair. It's like a halo. I think, like, I think he was in the middle of, like, a headbang. But he looks way too old to be headbanging. And way too holding a saxophone and wearing a suit to be headbanging. His suit doesn't fit very well either. He needs to get it a little bit tailored. Yeah, um, well, I mean... He, he needs some help. I'm just going to assume it's because he lost weight, which, you know, good good for him. I mean, he That's also important. probably needs, like, the flexibility in his suit to, like, really go hard on the saxophone that he's holding. So, he's yeah. He's just got to yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. go into it. He's got to just... Get all in that shit. Uh, there's a lot of, like, if you look at these names, like, there's some really weird names in here. Like, Y Pants. Like, the letter Y <laughs> and Pants. I mean, why? Why Pants? And The Static. The Static sounds like a super generic, like, high school band name. <laughs> like, hey, we're The Static, but we're thinking about changing the name. <laughs> We're working on it. It's just temporary, man. Here's our cover of When I Come Around. The Dell Byzantines. T. Uh, Teens as in T. -E -E <laughs> uh, I, I like that. I actually like that. That's a good name. I also like the last one on this list where it's Youth in Asia. So yeah. it's like Youth in Asia, but it's it's Youth in, you know, Asia. That sounds like but... a good punk rock name, though. Yo, fuck, dude. I want to, like, use that for, for something. I feel like there's a good, like, David Sedaris riff on euthanasia um, where he just, like, talks about, I don't know, comparing euthanasia to euthanasia. I, how many times can I say this word before I just lose my mind? Only about four more. Uh, okay, good. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. Uh, Theoretical Girls is another one, which I think is brilliant. That is good. As a name. Boris Police Band. <laughs> <laughs> So I think, I think the magic of that is police band is one word. <laughs> I, I like that's a thing. Like, like if he was the Boris police band, you'd be like, that is a shitty name. But it's like a person's <laughs> name. Like, yes, I'm Mr. Right. Police Band, Boris Police Band. I'm Police Band. 
Boris Police Band. So, <laughs> so if you actually look before other no wave musicians, it's pretty fascinating because like this list is really incredible. Oh, I have no, no idea who they are though, but like this sentence is talking about no wave inspiring like a noise rock series, um, oh, including a a bunch of different like bands, including The Fall, Sonic Youth. Beastie Ooh, Boys, swans. Lydia Lunch, like there are some real like some you know heavy hitters in, in this. Yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty legit. I think Lydia Lunch was linked on the previous page too. I thought I remember like seeing her name there. I wonder why you had clicked on James White and the Blacks. Before. <laughs> I'm, I I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna take that to like my deathbed and just like that's gonna be my last thought in this universe. Like before you know, <laughs> what was he I blink for? I blink why out of existence. I'm like, what was he doing? <laughs> what the fuck? Well, I'm glad I'm taking up rent in your head now. I know. It's expensive in Seattle. Goodbye, world. But why did he click on that link? <laughs> <laughs> like, your thoughts about this is going to prevent you from retaining some other important information at some point. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be on your headstone of like Amber. Why did he click on that link? <laughs> is it better or worse if your tombstone includes the name of the link? It's like if you just say, why did he click? And then in quotes, James White and the Blacks. <laughs> just inc- include a URL to the page. I'm just going gonna... <laughs> to... That should just be I'm your gonna... whole headstone. <laughs> Nothing just, else. Just a URL to the Wikipedia page. <laughs> like, here lies, here lies Amber. Uh... <laughs> whenever to whenever. HTTPS colon slash slash. <laughs> I'm going to go with a bunch of optimism that the internet will still exist in, you know, 50, 60, 70 years, like when I'm gone and, and buried and dead. But I think, I think that's the plan. So, you know, make, make a note of it. Like, we're just going to cement it right now. Just here's the link. Just nothing else on the headstone. We'll just leave it a mystery as it is. I'll, I'll, I'll give myself a reminder in Siri right now. And then everyone else, like anyone who visits the cemetery and goes to that link is going to be like, why in the hell did I click on this before? <laughs> whenever they whenever they go surfing Wikipedia for random articles, it's going to be delightful. I, I feel like I, your, your experience would be a lot more memorable. They'd be like, that's right. That weird woman's gravestone told me to click on it. <laughs> but so the other thing is, I don't know if I actually have to die to do this. <laughs> like, I think, I, think, I think we can just set up a headstone somewhere with this URL. Like, why, why are we doing this? Why wait until I'm dead to do this? Like, I want to see the results. Like, I want to see the outcome. So let's just, like, buy a plot in a cemetery and just, just there you go, James White and the Blacks. See what happens. Oh, my God. And you could totally make up a story, too. You could absolutely make up a story. Like, you could just be like, you know, my... My my mom got cremated, but she really liked this band, and she really wanted a tombstone so that like her her family could come visit her. So that's what I want to say on the tombstone, and that's why I want the plot. <laughs> and then like Perfect. once a year, you can go visit it and just laugh to yourself. Right. I will leave flowers though. I'm leaving a lot of flowers <laughs> on your only, fictional only... gravestone. <laughs> Only white and black flowers. I don't know where I'm going to find black flowers, but stay tuned. I'll let you know. You're just going to dye some white black, roses. Black roses are a thing. Man. No, I. but I don't want to die, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, shut up. <laughs> <laughs>
Wait, why did you guys invite me here again? <laughs> <laughs> An excuse to drink. Oh, I, perfect. I'm here for that. All right. Uh, I think, because I'm looking at the time I've got on recording, I think we can look at one more page. Wait. Under the section Legacy. In a foreword to the book No Wave, Weasel Walter wrote of the movement's ongoing influence. I began to express myself musically in a way that felt true to myself, constantly pushing the limits of idiom or genre, and always screaming, fuck you, loudly in the process. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just imagining this guy, like, sitting in the studio by himself, you know, working on something, listening to it, going, all right, all right, yeah. Fuck you! And then just going Do back you know to it. No, no, you know what? Punk rock? Fuck you. You know what? You know what else? You know what else? You know what else? Uh, uh, free jazz? Fuck you. And you know we what? Gotta... <laughs> Tone? No, no, no. We gotta hook this guy up with the ostrich guy, Pierre, our friend. <laughs> so they can just be like, one guy's like, yeah, like, fuck ostriches. And the other guy's like, yeah, like, fuck you. Like, we're here. Yeah. Punk rock. We hate punk rock, but we're influenced by it. But whatever. I don't Burns. get it. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So last link of the day. Uh, I really, really want to click on Boris Police Band, but I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, under C also, there's uh, just another asshole. Oh, boy. That's the one. We're, we're going to just that's... another asshole. Let's go. Let's do it. Oh, my God. It's It looks like it's a collection <laughs> of LPs or something. And they have an an image oh. of one of the LPs, and it's literally just like a white cover with j what looks like just another asshole written in very fresh sharpie. I I want to buy this. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up Discogs right now and see if anyone's selling uh, it. Just another asshole has 77 tracks. Wow! How do you do that on a vinyl? Uh, carefully and with a lot of skill. Only two wow, of them are longer than a minute. If you look through this list of tracks, like, half of them, maybe more, are just untitled. And they're all, like, 45 seconds long. Some of them are really have really good names. Uh, like, where, where did it go? Uh, look at number 27. There's something called Happy Police Horn. <laughs> uh, number 48 from Bob George, Warhead in the Forehead. That's a fucking punk rock song title. <laughs> that is punk rock as fuck. Holy shit. Um, number 11 is Michael Smith and A. Leroy, the Smith Leroy comedy team, and it's four, <laughs> 45 <laughs> seconds. That's 45 they seconds. They had two jokes. You gotta, you gotta talk really fast to get through those jokes, man. Between two people in 45 seconds, you have to, like, really hustle. Track number 35, Sandra Seymour. Dogs. 45 seconds. <laughs> Let's see. We also got, uh... Number 19, The Fucking Youth of Today. 50 seconds. Also known as Watching Fox News. Oh, God. Uh, so I just looked it up on Discogs real quick. Uh, that album in particular is... Oh, yeah, that's Just Other Assholes number five. Uh, <laughs> by the way, it's, it's on sale in the marketplace. I can buy it for $7. Do it. Wow, Buy do it, it, Tyler. I am hella gonna buy it. Also, um, Steve or Tyler, can you look at track listing number one and please read that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Larry Simon, Eggs Benedictus. <laughs> uh, also, track number two, Dara Burnbaum, Kojak slash Wang. 
<laughs> ex benedictus. So is that just trying to be plural of ex benedict? I guess. Or something Latin influenced. I don't, again, I don't speak any other but language I, other than English. Wouldn't it be like Egus Benedictus then if it was going to be Latin? <laughs> God, I just keep laughing at the fucking youth of today. And happy police horn. Happy police horn hold is on, my hold favorite, on a second. I think. Hold on a second. I'm sorry. Number 66. Excerpt from 64 short stories. What? Can't you name which story it was? Like, Can you help me out? Oh my god, I want to buy this so bad. Do it! You should. Okay. I feel I feel like that would be really good content too, where it's like, buy the thing, and then just like, have a bunch of people come in and do like, a live recording of you guys listening to this for the first time. Yeah. And like, just talk through, talk through each of the different titles, where you're like, okay, cool, now you're listening to Sweden Den Mother, and then you're listening to oh. New Sneakers, and you're listening to- Untitled. Die. <laughs> Die. Die number 76. Why would you call your song that? It's 46 seconds. Maybe it's not a song. I don't know. You got to listen to learn. I hope that at least one of these tracks is just complete silence. What is number 43? For <laughs> Thanks, Glenn Bronca. Good good tune <laughs> he was one of the people that was on the, the the page that got us to no wave yeah he was you're right i'm really looking forward to that happy police horn though oh yeah that, we're gonna have to i wonder i will i will set up a separate time and we'll just listen through this oh that's great <laughs> i wonder if if like it's up anywhere like if it's on youtube because I want to hear Happy Police Horn. I feel like we should get like really into this because so um, looking through it, they have just another asshole one through seven, and number seven was done in nineteen eighty seven. So I feel like you know twenty eighteen twenty nineteen is a very like ripe time. Just to another asshole back. eight. Just <laughs> just another asshole eight. You know? <laughs> the re- the revival. Here we are. We're, we're, you know? we're bringing it back, baby. Let's go. We are. We are. I did a search on Google on the videos tab for Herr Logos Happy Police Horn, and it gave me something titled "Just Another Asshole Resource." Learn about, share, and discuss. And it's on popflock.com. It's only two minutes long, huh. and the preview image is a picture of Pitbull. <laughs> it always comes back to Pitbull. It always comes back to him. I'm trying to drink whiskey, man. <laughs> All right, I think that is as good a place as any to stop. Tyler, let me know once just another asshole comes <laughs> in the mail, and we'll set up a, uh, a special secret recording. Just of us listening to just another asshole. I will come down to Columbus, or you'll have to come up here so we can listen to it. Because I think that's going to be a good time. Well, we'll make it happen. Don't worry. It's only on CD. I was hoping for a record, but well, it's on CD. Yeah, it actually. I just looking at the top here. A CD reissue was released in '95. Yeah, that's. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, well, Amber, thank you for joining us and helping out. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I'll probably uh, harass you to do this again. (laughs) Okay. I'll bring the whiskey. Yes. (laughs) Better than when we asked Glenn to do it and he brought fucking rum. Who does that? Glenn. Glenn. Glenn, that asshole. Exactly. Come on, Glenn. Glenn, you hear that, you fucking dick? (laughs) Glenn, 
Glenn is Glenn is literally just another asshole number eight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna change his title to that. <laughs> oh, perfect. All right. Uh thank you everyone for listening. I had a great time. I hope you had a great time listening. I hope that we're not super obnoxious, just slightly uh, obnoxious. So just a, a recap before we go. Uh we started on the fur people, fur people. <laughs> and ended on just another asshole. Sounds about right. You and know. I mean, we went through what? We we ventured to coffee and we visited Johann Sebastian Bach and then we what was it? What was the, New, the Bach? No wave. No, no wave. wave. No wave was No, it was good. it was the 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 uh the uh the fucking uh the the album using the Moog synthesizer. <laughs> the the three Grammy award winning albums yeah. that I can't think of. Um <laughs> Yeah. I could just hit the back button twice. Nope. Three nope. times switched on Bach, there it is. Switch on back. All right. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good uh, path to to crawl through Wikipedia. <laughs> good job, guys. Good job. Right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Nice, yep, nice yep, job. Yep. Nice hustle. Nice hustle. We did it. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back probably a month ish. Thanks for listening. See you later. Bye. Bye.